in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And the hour has come to Mm. conclude our discussion about smartwatches. So, uh, yeah, we recorded an epic episode, and I made so many jokes about time that I broke Lauren. And uh, that epic episode, as you know, was split into two episodes. If you don't know, go back and listen to the earlier episode where we have part one. And now we're going to really focus on the evolution of the smartwatch when we started seeing connectivity. Right, right. Yeah, we, we, we've come up through the history of how uh, clocks and watches happened a little bit. And, um, and now we're getting ready to talk about what we would start considering smart. Yeah, let's get to it. Smart. Yes. We pretty much covered like these digital watches that have interesting additional features to them. Again, I don't know that we would call any of them smart. You might argue that being able to program your watch doing some some basic programming makes it sort of a smart watch because it does go beyond the level of telling time. It could technically do whatever memory could hold and whatever you could program. Yeah. But, I, um, to be fair, I do not know how much memory that, that first uh, UC 2000 had in it. So. Right, right. And probably not very much. But we've covered the basic kinds of watches, digital watches, the the sort of stuff they could do once we began to figure out, hey, you know, there, there are other things that transistors can do besides just have us tell time. Let's figure out these other uh, options we might be able to give people. When we hit 1994, that's when Timex comes out with a watch that actually has some connectivity features in it, and they use a really weird implementation to do it. Uh, Yeah, it had an optical sensor on the watch's face. Yeah, this is the Data Link 150, and it was the first watch that allowed you to transfer information from a PC to the watch. So let's say that you want to use the watch to keep track of your contacts. You're essentially using it sort of like a very primitive PDA. PDA. Uh, and so what you do is you would go on the PC, you would use some proprietary software that came with the watch. So this is something that you would install on your computer. It's not something that's on the watch itself. You type out whatever it is you want to store on the watch. And then when you were ready to transfer the information, it would transmit that through a series of flashes on your monitor and you would hold, you'd physically hold the watch up so that it was next to your monitor so it could catch that flashing information. And that would be translated into whatever it was you had typed. So it was kind of like, you know, the old semaphore approach to communication, except in this case, you're talking about it's all digital once it goes through the flashes of light. Um <laughs> <laughs> but it was still, really a, I mean, very tiny lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it a was pretty cool idea in the sense that, you know, you didn't have to have any cables or anything in order for yeah, you to transfer Wireless technology, hey. Right. Now, I um, imagine that if there were any, like, I could, I could easily imagine that there were probably issues with this watch whenever you had certain lighting situations. Like, if your, if your, if your desk or your office was lit in a certain way, it might not transmit the information accurately, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it still was an interesting approach to fixing this. I wonder how long it took to transmit information. Like if you were to type a particularly long list, let, let's say that you were hitting the capacity for what the watch could hold. I wonder how long it would take to transmit. I honestly don't have the information, but it does make me curious if you had to hold the watch up for like, a half hour while your monitor just <laughs> flashes seemingly at random at you. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, also in, in 1994, 
2005, um, we started getting into some um, infrared technology in uh, transferring data between two watches. This was the uh, Casio Infraceptor. Wow! It was a it was a gaming watch that you could you could use this little infrared gadget to uh to play little multiplayer games gotcha. with, with so someone else who had the same same watch. watch right. Mm-hmm. So you have two people. And this is not unusual. We've seen lots of proprietary approaches to uh, to uh, uh, mobile gaming. Uh, like uh, Nintendo uh, does this very uh-huh. similar thing where you're using not necessarily infrared, you're using radio waves in that case. But in this in this case, it's ra- it's uh, infrared uh, waves, kind of like a kind of like what you would have with a remote control. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an that's you know a very innovative approach, especially yeah. for ninety five. Sure, sure, yeah, certainly. Um, I, I don't think that in our digital pets episode, I don't think that um that those started happening until no, almost, little, almost a decade later. Yeah, it was a little bit later, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2001, IBM hit the scene with the watchpad. This was a Linux-based watch. Oh, wow. So this this watch has its own little operating system. It was a stripped-down version of Linux. It had a QVGA LCD screen. Uh, it included Bluetooth and an accelerometer in it. Um, so it had a lot of the basic features that we think of in some of the more advanced smartwatches that we're starting to see hit the market today. Wow, yeah. It did have a slight disadvantage uh, with all of this equipment. Um, it was a little power hungry and not in the Dr. Evil, I'm going to conquer the world kind of way, <laughs> but rather a the battery lasted about two hours, which uh. is when you have a timepiece. And you need to know what time it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, Somewhat you know, problematic. I, I feel like that's about average for for maybe the PDAs of the time. Um, yeah. yeah, because, but, well, I mean, you know, you wouldn't be, normally you wouldn't be operating a PDA consistently yeah, for yeah. two hours. But a, a watch, you might, you know, very well be required to use it quite a few times. So if it only lasts a couple of hours, uh, I guess you could tell time by how frequently you had to charge it. Uh, not terribly useful. Yeah, yeah, that's that's much much like the quartz mechanism. That's that's a really uh yeah really not, accurate not 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 necessarily the way you want to tell time, but but it works. Um, <laughs> um as of two thousand two, Casio came out with a um wrist camera. Um, right. that, that was that was the the name of the watch. It was the wrist camera. Um and and this had a fancy fancy hundred and twenty pixel square. Yeah, hundred twenty uh, by hundred and twenty pixels. Yeah, that's how that's the resolution you could get on this thing. And it was not in color, right? It was grayscale. Yeah. yeah. So you you could take uh, very primitive photos with this wrist camera. It's more but, like a proof of concept. Sure, sure. But you know, you know, telling time and taking pictures. Yeah. Simultaneously, it was. It was also the same year that the uh, Fossil Wrist PDA came out, and it came out in two different versions. There was one that that supported the Palm operating uh, system, and there was one that supported Pocket PC, which was Microsoft's mobile oh. uh, mobile approach. That was and, very um, egalitarian of them. Yes, it had 190 kilobytes of memory that could store up to around, well, over one more than I should say, more than 1,000 contacts. Or around 350 memos, uh, depending upon what else you wanted to put in there. You know, you could have some combination thereof, but that's about the the full extent of its storage capabilities. Uh, moving up to 2005. 2005 was uh, uh, the first e-ink watch. That was uh, again by Seiko. Now, e-ink. One of the reasons why e-ink is so attractive to um, uh, electronics manufacturers is that. It has a very low power consumption rate. Right. It only consumes power whenever it has to change the display. So if you have a display that's not changing frequently, then e-ink 
ends up saving you a lot of uh, a lot of power. So it, let's say that you know there's no second indicator on the watch. If it's only indicated, if it's by only updating minutes, once a minute, then then it's not so bad. It can mm-hmm. actually the battery can last a very long time. It's much more efficient than LCD displays sure. or LED, even LED displays. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, depending of course on how the e-ink is lit, because if it's got a backlight going all the time, yeah, then that that will obviously that will drain power. So mm-hmm. a lot of e-ink displays don't have any uh, backlighting at all. They might have light that'll come in from the side to illuminate a screen if it's because, you know, clearly you want to have a watch that's going to be able to work even if you are in the dark. Right, right. It, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I need to know what time it is, even when there are no lights on. Yeah. And and a lot of a lot of these early um, early watches, we should we should say also did include, um you know, would, would only have the backlight turn on if you press a button. Right. Two. Right. Two. It wasn't like it was. Constantly, constantly lit because uh, yes in 2006 Microsoft uh, introduced the spot which stands for smart personal objects technology uh, it was a smart watch that was meant to auto adjust to time zones by using FM radio signals it would actually receive radio signals to determine where you were that's cool and uh, and these these radio signals would have within it whatever the local time was so it would automatically adjust to the local time zone. And it could also display information like traffic warnings or even things like uh, messages from your Outlook email. But it had a fairly small screen and the battery life was very limited. So they weren't seen as being terribly useful. Uh, by 2008, Microsoft had shuttered the program. So it only lasted for about two years. But it was one of those early attempts by Microsoft to enter the smartwatch space. Uh, in 2007, Sony Ericsson introduced the MBW150, which paired with other uh, Sony Ericsson products, specifically Sony Ericsson phones, mm-hmm. um, uh, via Bluetooth. It could display a single line of text. So this is a this was a watch that, if you looked at it, it wasn't a digital watch. It actually had watch hands and it had a watch face, but there was a little blank, tiny screen that could display one line of text. And that one line of text could be something like if you had an incoming phone call, it would tell you the name of the person who was calling you. Uh, or it could give you other alerts. Uh, and it also could vibrate. It had a little uh, uh, motor inside it that would allow it to vibrate whenever you got a call. So that way, like I, I miss calls all the time because uh, as the IT crowd would say, my vibrate sentence a little weedy. So uh, I don't tend to notice when my phone is vibrating. Um, but if I you know, had a watch that would vibrate, then I would either think I was having a heart attack or that I was actually getting a phone call. And maybe once I realized I was getting a phone call, I would then have a heart attack because no one calls me. Oh, I'm so lonely. <laughs> so um, then I think you have a note in 2009. I do. 2009. That's when Samsung came out with the S9 110. That was a watch that was also a phone. Now, uh, it's not the only watch phone that came out that year, uh, but it was a 1.76-inch touchscreen phone watch. It used uh, Bluetooth. It could connect with other devices. It could get email, and it could do MP3 playback. It had 40 megabytes of internal memory. And uh, the other watch phone that came out that year, or that debuted that year, caught the attention of CES, the Former Consumer Electronics Showcase. Now it's or show. Now it's just CES. CES. Uh, but in 2009, I attended that year, and I remember seeing this in person. I was not allowed to touch it at the time. Only uh, LG representatives were allowed to wear it. It was the LG watch phone, also known as the LG GD 910, and uh, 
it it was one of those darlings of the show floor, along with the Palm Pre. So Aww. don't get too attached <laughs> to stuff at CES is the moral of this tale. It, mm-hmm. It's sold in other parts of the world, in Europe and, and in Asia, but it never came to the United States. Uh, but it was actually a phone, uh, just like the Samsung one was. They, it had a, a cellular chip inside it that would allow you to make phone calls, and it would work on cellular networks. So it's not something that you would pair with another device, um, which was an interesting approach. It was, uh, you know, again, it never came to the U.S., so we could never really test it out. I imagine that the battery life on this was probably pretty limited, too. Um, I, and I imagine also that a lot of devices go now with pairing with a smartphone as opposed to having all this technology crammed into it in order to avoid things like uh, battery life that only lasts a few hours. Right, um, sure. Also, you know, just the advancements in, uh, say, Bluetooth are such that um, it makes it makes it a lot easier. That's true. These days, too, you know, 4.0 is... Is, is much more energy efficient than mm-hmm. earlier versions of Bluetooth. That is a good point. And yeah. also, uh, the, the other thing that the watch phone had... Uh, was voice recognition capabilities. Okay. So in this case, it actually did have the capacity to take voice commands, which, uh, interesting. Again, and just as you would expect, when I saw this at CES, what was the example everyone gave? Dick Tracy! Exactly right. Dick Tracy. Everyone's like, yes, yeah, Dick Tracy <laughs> uh, wristwatch. And uh, and I'm thinking, like, how many more years are we going to have while that's still a val- valid reference, a, a See, viable I, reference? I, when I think of, of voice commands to a watch, I think of um, a glitch from from that show. Reboot. Reboot. Thank uh. you. Right. Uh, uh, which, which I don't think, I think you still haven't watched. Um, no. but, uh, but, 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 I'm but Glitch, yes. I'm not going to insult Glitch by calling him a watch because that would be a terrible, terrible thing to do. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Moving on in, uh, at 2010, that was the year that iPod sixth generation nano came out. Right. And it became this phenomenon of watch use. Uh, it, it's at, at first, um, there, you know, you could pull up a clock face on it, but it wasn't really a function that that it had been intended for. But um, a, a couple third party people started putting together these um, these watch bands and cases for it. Yeah, the um, hex watch band is probably the one that most people are familiar with. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it's it's and then and then Apple started to realize that people were using this this for this purpose and started updating the firmware with lots of lots of fun stuff that, like different watch faces and mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. that. You know, it was a, it was a 1.5 inch uh, 240 by 240 pixel multi touch display. Right. And um you know, it it's it seemed really great. Like I, I remember a lot of people being so excited about this right up until 2012 when they released the seventh generation Nano that was in a vertical format, right? And basically killed it, as far as I can tell, strategically on purpose for yeah. potential future development of their own. Stay tuned. Yeah, Watch. the uh, the 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 sixth generation Nano uh, again, you know, depending on your definition of smartwatch, might not apply. Because it was, again, mostly self-contained. It was MP3 player. They could do other stuff besides tell the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you could, uh, uh, you, you, you could, I think that you could sync it to, um, well, I mean, you, you could sync it to a computer yes, to you could, get you could music. Sync it. Yeah. You could sync it. You could not, uh, update remotely. Like you had to have right. it synced. So depending upon your definition, you might not call it a smartwatch. I mean, first of all, it wasn't marketed as a smartwatch. It was marketed as an MP3 player, but, Using it as a timepiece and an MP3 player uh, made a lot of sense. And and in fact, the first time I saw it, that was the first thing I thought was that, gosh, you just put that on a watch band and you've got yourself a, 
uh, you know, essentially, fancy, fancy. A, essentially mm-hmm. a smartwatch in my mind. Like, I don't, I'm not so strict as to say that it has to have, uh, it has to be completely free of any other material in order for it to count as a smartwatch. Like, it has to be self-reliant mm-hmm. because a lot of the smartwatches that I like, pair up with another device. Right. You know, without that pairing, they don't have the functionality that you would, you know, associate with a smartwatch. Sure, so, sure. And and it, it is certainly easier, yes, to uh to, to pair something to a to a um either iOS or Android system or um you know Microsoft is I think thinking about is sure. rumored to be thinking about getting into the smartwatch game as well. Right. So. And of course uh you know there are a lot of other companies that are building out devices like watches that that already hook up into existing platforms, both Android and iOS. Uh, and we'll talk about a couple of them. In 2011, WIM, that's W-I-M-M, had an Android watch that was just meant as a developer kit. It wasn't a consumer product. Um, and uh, you know, it was really designed to kind of get Android developers into thinking about designing apps specifically for a smartwatch form factor. In 2012, WIM entered into a secret and... Uh, exclusive partnership with a company that I don't know what the identity is because they never said. But anyway, it is, it is the, still secret. The developer kits no longer are available. Uh, twenty twelve is also the year that Sony came out with their first smartwatch design. Yep, yep. and uh, and uh, Motorola came out with the Moto Active, which was part smartwatch, part athletic activity tracker. Mm-hmm. So it had the accelerometer. It also had a GPS sensor in it, so it could even track your location uh, for those of us who aren't so worried about that. Um, but anyway, it also had Bluetooth 4.0. <laughs> I, I'm not going to – I'm like, there's a whole other podcast that we're going to do about about privacy and, and, and being tracked, and it doesn't belong here. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it also could – it also could uh, – connect to other types of sensors. So if you had a sensor attached to your bike, for example, that recorded how far you had traveled, through Bluetooth, you could connect your Moto Active with that sensor, and the Moto Active would essentially become your window for all things activity-related. Um, and it also had uh, uh, could play MP3s. Uh, it could act as a second screen for a uh, a phone and give you things like your you know caller ID or text messages. It could run Android apps, but uh, the functionality was somewhat limited because again, Android apps were designed for smartphones and for tablets, not for watches at this point. So trying to use some of them was more trouble than what they were worth, from what I understand. I never actually had a chance to really play with one. I got to play with one briefly at a CES but I didn't get a chance to really dive into it. It did have eight gigabytes of flash memory. How? Eight gigs. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about kilobytes. Yeah. And now we're into the gigabytes. So we could actually hold as much as uh, some MP3 players. Right. So it could hold, you know, a library's worth of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2012 was also the year that um, that the Pebble Kickstarter Happened, and this this is a point that that Jonathan, as of like today, has a little bit of of added bitterness towards because pebble. pebble. All right, so 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 just yeah, I mean, the the gig. In case for some reason you did not hear about how Pebble was the smartwatch that had a hundred thousand dollar goal, earned over ten million. It's the yeah, 10. most ten point two million dollars. The most successful project to date in Kickstarter history, and as of uh, July seventh. Will they, be available in certain Best Buy stores, and and that's and that's great for Pebble. Um, Pebble. The problem the problem is 
Jonathan, do, do you want to take this or do you, do yeah, you not, here's do you not have the words? Here's the problem. In January 2013, certain Jonathan Strickland put in a pre-order for a cherry red pebble. And he's very much looking forward to wearing this cherry red pebble everywhere, perhaps on episodes of Forward Thinking, where the entire world could see him wearing a cherry red pebble. But Jonathan has not received his cherry red pebble, even though he dreams of it every night, and instead has learned that it will be available in Best Buy, and that he could have walked into a brick-and-mortar store and bought a pebble. Although, technically, I don't think it was cherry red. I think the cherry red ones won't be available till a little bit later in July. But anyway, the point being yeah, that he could have bought a black one. They, they, they will only have black ones available at Best Buy for now. But it's just... I it's, assume until they actually fill their pre-orders. See, seeing, seeing that the... That it was coming to brick and mortar stores before I finally get my. Now, now let's let's be clear. I was not a Kickstarter backer, so I totally agreed with the company's decision that they wanted to fulfill all backers' orders first before going into pre-order. I thought that was the right decision to make. It was the thing that uh, rewarded the people who believed in the company from the very get-go. I totally understand that. And then I pre-ordered. See, when I pre-ordered the pre-part, it's red. You're getting a red one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, okay, this being said that I was not, I was not really convinced about the pebble until I went again to, to CES. CES. And, uh, there I saw the, the founder of the company talking about the pebble, dim- giving a demo of it, explaining what their project was, explaining how they came about it. Uh, I got to, to take a really close look at them. I was really impressed by, the the company I was impressed by the product and that's when I went and put in a pre order and while I'm I'm grousing right now it's really just out of the desire to have it I don't I don't actually have any ill will toward the company that's mostly played up for laughs um, so really if anyone from Pebble is listening I'm not actually upset <laughs> I I just eager to get one because yeah. I'm, I but anyway yeah. this is something that pairs with a smartphone it pairs with either an Android device or an iOS device Right to uh to provide kind of like like push notifications basically for mm-hmm. uh for 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 emails for text messages for phone calls um, uh, yep, and it uses an e-paper display, which is a little different from e-ink. It's not. It's not exactly the same thing. Well, uh, e-ink is is proprietary, I believe. And, and so. e-paper doesn't. E-paper is again another uh, technology that makes it look like it's you know paper, just like e-ink displays do. It doesn't have a backlight unless you press the low. And it, even, I don't think it's backlit. I think it's lit from the side. It might be backlit, but it's well, not active unless you press a button. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So uh, that helps. Conserve, conserve energy. Right. Uh, it does hook up through Bluetooth, and I remember them saying that this would, in fact, uh, impact the battery life of your smartphone. So, um, by about five to ten percent. So you're going to have five to ten percent less time available on whatever device you have paired to the Pebble. It also will give you notifications, like you were saying. Neat, neat device. You know? Yeah. One of those things that was sort of an upstart company and really captured a lot of people's interest, obviously, from the fact that they raised hell so much ten more. million dollars. Ten million dollars yeah. and they're asking for a hundred thousand. Just recently E Inc. themselves announced um a um a flexible uh one point seven three inch touch display called the uh, uh Mobius. Oh, for wow. future release, I haven't seen this. That sounds cool. Uh huh. And um and 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 yeah and, and lots of lots of companies are are rumored to be getting into this game. Um, I think. Now I will say before we get into the rumors, uh-huh. there, there are a couple that I want to talk about that okay. are available right now this year. Yeah. 
Uh, Sony just announced earlier uh, in June. Uh, we were recording this at the very beginning of July. Mm-hmm. July but, 2nd. But in, in June, they announced that they were coming out with the smartwatch 2. To arrive in September 2013. So that's their, their, uh, obviously their successor to their earlier smartwatch. And, uh, again, it's an Android powered, uh, smartwatch. It also has NFC connectivity, near field communication right. connectivity. Uh, so that, that sounds like, uh, it's got some early buzz behind it. So that sounds pretty cool. Also, uh, the Martian watches launched. <laughs> the Martian Passport, <laughs> the Martian Victory, and the Martian G2G smartwatches. Uh, they have voice controls and they can actually act as a speakerphone. They, they pair with a smartphone, but they can act as a speakerphone and they, uh, allow you to use services like Siri over the, oh, the cool. watch. Uh-huh. Uh, CNET did not give a very positive review. It was a three-star review out of five, saying that there were some problems with the voice quality, that both listening to a speakerphone conversation or trying to interact with Siri. There, you know, Siri on a good day can be a little taxing, depending upon Siri's mood. But apparently, Siri over a speakerphone. <laughs> Gets a, uh, even it just has trouble understanding what it is you want. Uh, right, right, yeah. When, when, whenever any of these microphones don't have um, sufficient uh, clarity, uh, clarity yeah. or, or, or blocking technology right. for um, right all, all the ambient noise that's for ambient you. noise, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is why uh, I often get stares whenever I walk down the street. And I'm screaming at my wrist. Where do I hide a body? Can't, ima- can't imagine why that's that's on Peachtree. I fit right in. Um, that's, that's just a little joke for anyone else who, who has been in Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. All right. So, uh, in our office, off of Peachtree, as it turns <laughs> out. So anyway, uh, we're talking about rumors now. So getting into the rumored smartwatches that we have heard about this year, but have not yet been unveiled in an official capacity. Uh, two big companies have smartwatches that are rumored to be on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Google, as of May 2013, had filed a patent for a smartwatch-looking thing. Yeah, this, um, this wasn't the first patent for a smartwatch. They have also filed for other ones that kind of had an augmented reality uh, aspect to them. I remember seeing one that even had a little flip-up screen. So you would flip like the watch face up so it's vertical on your wrist, and then you would gaze through it monocle style at the world around you to get augmented reality data. But it looks like this is since uh, Google Glass is coming out. Yeah, it looks that's like a maybe. More advanced approach. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, this uh, th- this uh, this new patent has um, uh, Google Glass esque uh, touchpads on the sides of the screen. Yeah, in fact, I've seen some speculation that this watch would actually interact, interact with Google Glass, Glass so mm-hmm. that you would become another means of controlling Google. So that maybe you're not shouting at yourself. Right, and I wouldn't be saying Google instead of Google. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long day, folks. Uh, yeah, so that's that's one possibility. Mm-hmm. And then there's the um, the a- other big company. Apple has already um, filed a patent in Japan, I it's believe. It's registered a trademark. It's a registered a trademark. Right, yeah. They haven't, as far as I know, I mean, there may be patents out there. There probably are patents out there. But it's uh, been registering the trademark iWatch. Which, right, not yeah, a that's big, what it was. Not a big surprise. <laughs> but trademarking the, the word iWatch in various countries, most recently in Japan, but in other countries as well, which, again, suggests that the company is looking into developing its own smartwatch. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that's been rumored for a while. Keep in mind, the iPad was rumored to be a big, big project for about two or three years before it finally came out. So 
that might mean that it may be another three years before we see an iWatch. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be much yeah, earlier yeah. than that. But. I, you know, like like I said about about that that iPod Nano, the sixth gen. I, I I really do think that that they started counting down from 2012. Right. Um, and saying, you know, we, we need to stop making them this way because otherwise we're we gonna, want to sell them. Yeah. Later we'll, on, we'll end up cannibalizing our our smartwatch mm-hmm. market if we keep selling something that's uh, a slightly less capable and perhaps less expensive uh electronic device <laughs> yeah that one um I've, I've i've heard i've heard rumors i've read rumors that uh, that samsung is thinking yeah, about the, it a galaxy smartwatch mm-hmm. yeah to go along with their their galaxy note and galaxy uh smartphone lines mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it, it we're just getting into it now and i think really it's the wearable computer aspect that's that's getting to uh, a level of sophistication and uh the innovation around uh, how you you use the user interface has really helped it a lot because yeah touch touch screens are so important for this because and, otherwise and even voice controls yeah. and and maybe we'll get to gesture controls like I can imagine having uh, a watch that has uh, the kind of accelerometers in it so that it only displays the time when you hold your arm up as if you're looking at the watch mm-hmm. because then it could end up uh, saving a lot of energy whenever you're not doing that although to be fair. Depending upon how some of us look at our watches, that might just be frustrating because we might (laughs) be like, I could totally see what time it was right now if my watch were lit up. But, that, uh, that would be that, that would be pretty cool if you could if you could direct your your watch by making increasingly ridiculous gestures. <laughs> I, w- I I would be glad to give someone a broken watch and tell them that's how it worked, just to see like what kind of crazy Muppet moves we would get out of that. Note to self: something to do with Josh. But- <laughs> We we do by the way we 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 got it we got a reader letter in and and I I, I want to say real quick that that we love all of our fellow podcasters we, do. we we honestly have zero animosity towards any of them we like giving everyone grief on air because oh, yeah. they're so grievable um uh, but- and, and trust us trust us if you were to to see the interactions that happen within our office you would realize this is all that kind of you know uh, one upsmanship that's completely meant in jest Not, absolutely none of us really intend in, any others. Uh, any ill will except for me against Josh, but apart from that, <laughs> he's he's mostly. I am still kidding. Mostly I'm joking. Still kidding. Pebble, send me my watch. But, oh. um, yeah, no, yeah. it's just because I'm hurt. That's all. All right. Well, I, I think that kind of wraps up this discussion. Uh, no, Lauren, let me ask you this: You don't? Do you normally wear a watch? I do not. Okay, I also do not normally wear a watch. Uh, is there? Is there a smartwatch out there, a design you've seen that you've actually liked, or do you just not? Is that just not something for you? I've been I've been thinking about getting a watch actually because I I, I they look cool. Yeah. Um. And no, I, that's the same thing I've been thinking. Like I've got a phone that tells me what time it is, and I've always got my phone on me, right? right? But at the same time, I think I kind of want a fashion accessory, and that's really what how watches started off. When you I think, think about it, I I think for me it would take um it would take one of these devices being. It's sexy enough. It's, it's it's having that fashionable appeal right. of and 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 some of the fitness trackers are starting to get really really cool looking. Yeah. Um. And and I think it would take a device. Um. You know, look looking like 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 the the Misfit Shine, for example. You know, like like just something very sleek. Yeah. So you want you 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 want the aesthetic to be just right. right. Like for me, uh, a little bit kind of clunky and geeky works for me because, let's face it, I'm clunky and geeky, so I think it works well. Uh, but I, I've actually got three different smartwatches pre-ordered. 
<laughs> and I haven't received any of them yet. Actually, technically, one of them's not a smartwatch. One of them is just a super cool watch design, which I'll show you after the episode's over. Uh, but it's uh, uh, it's not a smartwatch because it really just tells the time. It doesn't have any other extra functionality to it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I see this as being a market that's just going to continue to get more and more uh, competitive, especially when we start seeing uh, flexible screens, you know, more like uh, e-ink displays that are flexible, right. that kind of stuff. Um, or we see uh, uh, flexible OLED displays come down in price. And that's going to be a while, obviously. But once we start seeing that, then you're going to see the form factor for watches just go crazy because it can be molded to any shape at that point. And while we are used to watches looking a certain way, there's no guarantee that that's how they're going to look 10 years from now. And if they get more comfortable and more wearable, then that's obviously yeah. a perk. I can't wait for them to look like uh, like arm bracers, you know? Like yes. Fits over your whole forearm and can give you a full readout of everything. And dude, I, w- I would buy one in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. I would buy those. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Tech Stuff. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics, let us know. You can write us. Our email address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on social. Our handle at both Facebook and the Twitter is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 